right, let's turn to a familiar passage of Scripture, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we continue our thoughts on the subject of I have a question. I have a question, and this is a question that comes up frequently. It's a question that I ask myself frequently, and it is this, question number six in the series, how do I know the will of God? How do I know the will of God? Because ultimately, I mean, if you're saved, you want to be in his will, don't you? You don't want to live your life outside of his will. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Father, would you help us now as we look to this very, very important subject? May I rightly divide your word of truth and be a help to your people. Would you speak to us in an unusual way tonight and give us clarity and help in this and any other matter we need? And may Christ be lifted up in it. Of course, in Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Now, we would agree that if you're saved, there is a general will that everybody finds themselves under. If you're saved, would you agree with me that it's God's will that you read your Bible? Yeah, yeah. Would you agree with me that it's God's will that you maintain a vibrant line of communication that we call prayer? Okay. Would you agree with me that it's God's will that God's people, as often as they can, get together in corporate fellowship according to Hebrews chapter 10? Yes. Would you agree with me that according to Matthew 16 and at least four other places there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, that it is God's will that we be a witness to others and and propagate the gospel to all those around us? Okay. These are things that we all know are the general will of God. And by the way, let me just give you this to work with. God is not going to reveal his specific will to us until we're first committed to following his general will. You know, we've got to be committed to do those and be faithful in those things that we know we should be doing before he's going to open up our understanding of his specific will. But that's what we're talking about tonight. How do I know the specific will of God? It assumes that we're doing the general will of God. And if you're not doing that, then that's, that's where you start. You start with the general will of God that we all should be doing. But we're talking about the specific will of God. How do I know it? Okay, back to our text. We're focusing especially on verse number six. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not into thine own understanding. Now watch verse six. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now, this is something that that tends to slip past us if we're not careful. It does not say that he will direct our steps on the path. It says he'll direct our paths. Now, what's the difference? If, if I know what God's will is for my life, then I know the path that I'm supposed to take. But if I don't know God's will for my life, I don't yet know the path. All the steps in the world are not going to help me if I don't know what path I'm supposed to be on. And so what, what God is promising us through Solomon here is I'm not just going to tell you how to walk on the path. I'm going to show you what path you ought to be on. I'm going to direct your path paths and that's something we need desperately isn't it so what's the key what is the key to getting him to direct our paths to show us what his specific will for our life is in all thy ways acknowledge him now what is the word acknowledge this is the key here in all thy ways acknowledge him now, when I went to the Word, I was prepared to get a Hebrew word that would be specific, to the point, and just chock full of sermon material. Brother, oh, you know what I got? 
one of the most common Hebrew words in all of the Old Testament. Yada. It means to know. In all thy ways, know God. Well, great. I'm going to have to work for it a little bit. But then I got to thinking, and you better believe I asked the Lord to help me. What are you saying here, Lord? What is involved, by the way, there's the verse we were just talking about. What is involved in knowing? In all thy ways acknowledge him, know him. What is involved in knowing? Well, let's, let's bring this to our level. There are people that I say I know, but in, in reality, I don't. I'm acquainted with them, and they might even could say they know who I am. But that doesn't mean I really know them. Let me, let me do some shameless name dropping. Some of the songs that we sing as a choir and as a congregation are written by one of the most prolific songwriters in recent memory named Rodney Griffin part of greater vision who sung here twice man what a good man what a good man he loves god and god has used him to just pen some wonderful songs of the faith and and i had a moment of pride the other day brother davies is looking for one of his songs for the choir oh i'm excited about it too you're gonna like it and he said i'm having a hard time finding the sheet music to it so i said well i'll just text brother griffin he wrote it, surely he knows where some sheet music is for it. Because I'm somebody, I know him. <laughs> By the way, he was very helpful, very kind. But if I'm honest with you, I don't know Rodney Griffin the way we're talking about tonight. If I only know God and acknowledge God to the level that I could acknowledge Mr. Griffin, I'm in trouble because it's more than that. It's not just knowing who somebody is. I know who President Biden is, but I don't know him. Now, I've assimilated a lot of information about him from what I've observed. Not much of it's good, but I don't know him. I'll tell you who I do know. I know Brother Davies. You know why? We work together almost on a daily basis. So, so how are we going to define knowing, acknowledging God? I'm going to give you three things. Number one, there is mutual recognition. There's mutual recognition. I know Brother Davies, and if you asked him, I think he would say he knows me. There's mutual recognition. Now, so far, me and Brother Griffin, we've got that. I think we're at a point now, if he were, hey, that pastor down at Fellowship in Withful, and do you know him? I do know him. How's he doing? I think he would say that, I think. Okay. But not just mutual recognition, there's also mutual regard. I have a holy, godly affection for Brother Davies as my brother in Christ and my co-laborer. And I believe he feels the same for me. There is, there is, there is, um, we have regard for one another. Now, Brother Griffin, though he's a very kind man, does he have that level of regard for me that I would for Brother Dave? No, we don't know each other that well. Okay, so there's mutual recognition, there's mutual regard, and then there's mutual responsibility. And that's where the analogy with Brother Griffin completely breaks down. He has no responsibility to me, and I really don't have any responsibility to him. But do me and Brother Davies have a responsibility to one another? we do now let's take this on a much grander scale and let's talk about God do I know God do I recognize him in my life I do does God recognize me he does there's a mutual recognition there but then there's also a mutual regard does God love me he sure does do I love God not as much as I should but I do love him there's a mutual regard. And then there's a mutual responsibility. Do I have a responsibility to serve God? And has he willingly took upon himself a responsibility over me? 
There's a mutual responsibility. So when it says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, it's saying, Lord, I recognize you, I regard you, and I am responsible to you in every facet of my life. That's what acknowledging him is, and that's where we start to know the will of God. I know him. I know what he likes. I know what he doesn't like. (laughs) By the way, that's a lot true for me and Brother Davies, too. There's some things I know he didn't like. And there's some things he knows I didn't like. There's some things that we, 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 we mutually enjoy. Very seldom if I, if I suggest to him, think about going to Moondog and getting that beauty pizza, what do you think? Absolutely, do it. And now we got Miss Sandra chiming in. Do it, yes, do it. <laughs> <See. laughs> We have a mutual regard for that particular pizza. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about knowing him, acknowledging him. So with that in mind, knowing who God is, knowing what he likes, what he doesn't like, how he, how he works and how he reveals himself, we move on to the next question. How does God reveal his will. Now, I'm about to give you four things, and I cannot overstate how important it is that we take these four things in this order. You get this thing out of order, and you get in trouble in a hurry. Okay? How does God reveal his specific will? Number one, through his word. That is always the first place you go for the will of God. The vast majority of questions in your life are going to be covered in precept or principle by God's word. Now, the verse that we use is a familiar one to us. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, mature, complete, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Now remember, it's profitable for doctrine, that's what's right. For reproof, that's what's wrong. For correction, that's how to get things right. For instruction in righteousness, that's how to keep things right. Does that cover pretty much everything we encounter? I want to know what's right. I want to know what's wrong. I want to know how to get things right. I want to know how to keep things right in relation to his will for my life. I go to his word. I go to his word. Now, that said, are there certain things in our lives that the Bible does not explicitly address? The answer is yes. All right, so who am I going to use tonight? Who is going to be... All right, Isaac, you're the man. You stay there. You don't have to come up here. I can tell you right now that while I see things in Isaac's life that I find very encouraging, I don't know what God's will is vocationally and specifically for Isaac's life. I don't. And by the way, I don't have any authority authority to try to impress that upon him either. The truth is, I don't have that authority with my own son. There's only one person who decides what God's will is for his life, and that's God. I'll get into that more later. So I'm, I'm, I'm coming from a perspective of I don't know what God is calling Isaac to do. Now, there are certain things that Isaac can look to the word of God and get answers for. Okay, so let's say that Isaac, as he draws near, I'm sorry, Terry, I hate to bring this up, but as he draws near to the end of his high school career, and he's got a couple years yet, but as he starts moving, he's starting to think, what am I going to do? Okay. Does the Bible say, thou shalt go to college? It does not. But that's something he's going to have to determine. Hey, by the way, not everybody's meant to go to college. College can be a help to a lot of people, specific colleges. There's some colleges that are absolutely no help to anybody at all. 
okay? But anything you're called to do, there's always a call to prepare, right? If you're going to be an electrician, Brother John, you better have some preparation there, huh? Or somebody going to get burned up. Yeah. So there's always preparation involved. But does the Bible give explicit instructions as to whether or not he's going to go to college? Nope. Does the Bible give explicit instructions as to what your ultimate vocation will be? No. Now, does the Bible in precept and principle rule some things out? Yes. Isaac comes to me after class one day and says, you know what, I really feel like the Lord might be calling me to be a bartender. Nope. Because I, I don't need principle. I can give you precept. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor strong drink. I can tell you unequivocally from the word of God, it is not God's will that you be a bartender. Okay? But if he says, God might be calling me to be a veterinarian, I can't tell him the scripture doesn't say so. Now, the closest I can come is the best veterinary school around here is at Virginia Tech, and I just don't believe that's God's will. <laughs> but that's the closest I can come. Okay. So he's searching for something that the Bible doesn't address. So what do we do next? The Bible doesn't say, so what is my next my next um, step, godly counsel. Now, you don't want to put godly counsel first because godly counsel, no matter how godly they are, they can be wrong. Humans are fallible. No matter how well-intended they might be, humans are fallible. So your first step is always, always, always the word of God. So Isaac has searched the scriptures and he sees nothing in precept and principle to tell him what should be God's will for his life as far as his vocation. And so he says, okay, I'm going to search out some people that I believe walk with God and I'm going to see what they have to say about this. And so he goes to his parents first. His parents are like, I don't know. I mean, I can offer you some things to think about, but I can't tell you what God's will is. And we'll talk about those things to think about in a minute. And so he goes to Brother Davies. I don't know, Isaac. I don't know. But let's say Isaac has some kind of an idea of what he might want to do. And let's say that, that Isaac's thought is, I'd, I'd kind of, what's something you're really bad at? Anything you can think of right off? All right, let's say you're really bad at cooking. Okay, let's, let's say you, you can't boil an egg, all right? But Isaac comes to his parents and he says, you know what, I feel like God may be leading me to become a chef. And mom goes, <clears throat> really? Now Isaac has sought them out for godly counsel. In doing that, there's, there's, a little, there's a little criteria there, Isaac. When you seek godly counsel, you need to be prepared to hear what they have to say. Now, this is where it breaks down for a lot of us. I'm going to search out godly counsel, and then when godly counsel tells you something you don't want to hear, you get upset. Godly counsel is of no help to you if you're not willing and prepared to hear the truth. And so Isaac goes to his parents and says, I think God might be calling me to be a chef. And they counsel him and say, well, Isaac, I, I, I got to be honest with you. I don't know if you're really gifted in that. Maybe you ought to think of something different. Well, what do you know? All my childhood, Nickelodeon told me I could be anything I wanted to be. That is not true. You can't be anything you want to be. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a major league catcher. And I would have been, except I lacked two things. I lacked opportunity, and I completely lacked talent. Had I had opportunity and talent, I'd have reached my goal. 
but I had neither. You can't be whatever you want to be, but you can be whatever God calls you to be. And that's what we're after here. So, sorry, Isaac, you, man, I almost just fell over this whole thing. New pulpit, we're bolting to the floor, but anyway. Isaac, you can't be a chef. Oh, you don't know anything. That's not helpful. Because if you're going to seek godly counsel, you got to be prepared to hear what godly counsel has to say. Now, I've been pastoring long enough that I've figured out a lot of people. A lot of people don't really want counsel. They just want somebody to back up what they already want to be the truth. And that's true beyond knowing God's will for your life. They just want to hear somebody say, yes, you're right. You're exactly right. But the second you tell them, I don't believe that's right, why do you hate me? I don't hate you. I'm trying to help you. What's our verse for this? There's several, but let's go with Proverbs chapter uh, Uh, chapter 11 verse 14 where no counsel is the people fall but in the multitude of counselors there's safety there have been several occasions in which I wanted to make a decision and I go to the leadership and they see it differently and they say pastor I don't really think that's the best course of action and maybe or maybe not I get a hair in the flesh and I get mad but you know what oftentimes They were right. My wife is the queen of this. She is my chief counselor, and she is wise. But sometimes I don't like hearing what she has to say. But if we're going to get the most out of godly counsel, we need to be prepared to hear the truth. Okay, so Isaac goes to godly counsel, and we got nothing to give him. He's not trying to be a chef, but maybe he is looking at a vocation that I got no idea what to tell him. His parents got no idea what to tell him. His teachers have no idea what to tell him. So then what's our next step? Remember, it's got to be in this order. The word of God, godly counsel. What's next? Circumstances. Now, if you put circumstances ahead of the other two, you can get out of line in a hurry, okay? But next is circumstances. What is happening in and around my life to nudge me in a direction? Will God sometimes use circumstances to push us in a direction? He will. Give an example. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. What was God's will for these, these new Christians? What did he want them to do? Take the gospel and do what? Spread out. You read the first six, seven chapters of Acts, what do you find? They didn't. They stayed put. So what did God use to get them to do what he wanted them to do? Now, this is interesting to me. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 tells us what God wanted. Flip it. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 tells us how God accomplished it. Watch this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And Saul was consenting unto his, Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all what? Scattered. Okay. You didn't want to scatter when I told you to scatter, so now I'm going to take my hand of protection off of you, and now you're going to scatter. I'm going to use circumstances to push you in the direction I want you to go. So what kind of circumstances could God use to direct Isaac in absence of any guidance from his word or from godly counsel? What kind of circumstances could God use? Okay, Isaac's going to be a veterinarian. That's, his, that's what he thinks he's going to do. And so he goes to Virginia Tech, and, and he's even got the money. But they don't let him in. Now, why in the world Virginia Tech wouldn't let people in, I don't know. 
but he didn't get in. Is that a circumstance worth noting? Sure. Let's take it a little bit further. This is going to further wound Tara. Maybe it's not his vocation. Maybe it's a girl. He's met this girl, and he's far enough along in life that it's appropriate. Okay, he's well into his adulthood. He's gainfully employed, and everything's looking good. And uh, he calls up his mom and dad one day, and he goes, uh, I met a girl, and I think maybe she might be the one. Oh, Isaac, that's wonderful. So I'm trying to determine whether or not she's God's will for my life because I, there's only one thing worse than being single, and that's being married out of God's will. Wait for God's best, okay? But I want to know if she's God's will. And he goes to the word of God, and there's nothing in God's word that would say this is not the one. She's saved. She loves God. She's got good morals. I mean, all the things line up that you need to have in in a spouse. I mean, man, the word of God's backing it up. That's great. And so he has godly counsel. He goes to his parents. What do you think of her? Robert and Tara like, we love her. She's great. We don't see anything in her that concerns us. Hey, by the way, kids, if your parents see something that concerns them, there's nobody that loves you more than they do. Listen to that. I have a vested interest in my kids marrying the right people. And by the way, parents, have a relationship with your kids that would, that would foster and facilitate them listening to you if you have a concern. If I'm the daddy, I ought to be declared then some boy comes along that I don't think is the right one. I'm, I, want, I want to have the relationship with her needed so she'll listen to me. Mom and dad are great with it. Isaac's met her parents, and they love him. He's got him completely snowed. They love him. What a great young man. What a solid young Christian. And everybody's happy. And so Isaac, boy, he's... Ready to go. And so he goes down. Every kiss begins with K. <laughs> and he buys the ring. And he plans it all. And he's got some goofball hiding in the bushes, videoing it and everything. I mean, it's going to be great. I have nothing to say that this is not God's will. And so he drops to a knee and he pops the question. And she says, no. Circumstances have just entered into the equation. But, 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 but. And I'm not minimizing. That's a painful thing. But sometimes God will take a circumstance and put the brakes on a situation I was not engaged before Crystal, but I was mighty close. And God put the brakes on that relationship. Nothing the world wrong with that girl. But God put the brakes. Can I tell you, I'm so glad he did. Because everything's great. God used circumstances to say, no. Be grateful when he does that. It's hard, easy preaching, hard living. Sometimes God says, maybe there's a career change and God uses the circumstances of a layoff. God can and will use circumstances to accomplish his will. Now, it can't be first, but it is part of the equation. Now, let me, let me give you a circumstance that is just, I need to go ahead and do it. I don't dread it quite as much as last Wednesday night's message, but I'm, I'm not really don't want to get into this, but. There is a circumstance that's a pretty clear indicator of his will, and that is ability or the lack thereof. Sometimes we have a desire to do something for God, and it's just not God's will. And we have to accept that. David wanted to build the temple more than anything in the world, and God said no. Well, why not? 
Because you're a man of blood. What, what do we call his wartime exploits? Circumstances. There's nothing in the world I want to do more than sing a special in church. Now, I can't carry a tune in a bucket, but I sure do want to. Can I say this lovingly? Maybe that's not God's calling on your life. Preacher, you're elevating talent. I am not. Talent's not everything, but it's something. (laughs) And I'm not saying that everybody that doesn't sound like, you know, the greatest operatic voice ever ought to drop out of the choir. That's not what I'm saying at all. And you know that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, I'm not secretly trying to telegraph to y'all, some of y'all need to quit the choir. That is not what I'm saying. The choir sounds great. I'm saying if God has not gifted you in an area, then maybe, maybe you should look for where he has gifted you. When I was coming up, not long after I surrendered to preach, I grew up in a culture, and this is, let me just say this. this. I don't believe this was right. I didn't recognize it then, but I do now. That elevated preacher boys above everybody else. The kids that were in our Christian school, they were good kids. But if you surrendered to the ministry, you were a better kid. And I don't know that that was intentional. I tend to think it wasn't. But when you were a preacher boy, I mean, you just, you had it made. You got called on to pray sometimes. 14, 15 years old. Heavenly Father, gracious Father in the world. And you just try to put out some great, great prayer that would impress everybody. And then, oh, the night you waited for all year long was the New Year's watch night service. Because that's when all the young preacher boys got to preach. And we were intent on out preaching each other. We were intent. This was the minor leagues. This is what got us called up to the majors Wednesday night. Sunday night, MVP. Sunday morning was the Hall of Fame. I don't consider myself a great preacher now, but I especially was not a good preacher then. I go back and look at some of my outlines. Oh, my goodness. And listen to some of the old recordings. And oh, I listened to one the other day, and it almost made me quit the ministry. And it was only like three weeks ago. (laughs) How in the world does the Lord bless that? All right. It was a particularly young man. And I'm not elevating elevating talent, y'all. But there was a particularly young man. There was, he was not gifted in any way, shape, and form for that kind of a ministry. He just wasn't. And New Year's Eve, it was evident. So what in the world was he doing there? I'll tell you what he was doing there. He was under immense pressure to get under an emotional burden that was created and find a call to preach that wasn't there. And it showed One of the circumstances that God uses is giftedness. And we need to be aware of that. I don't know if I have this on here or not. Nope. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. We read that verse, and we think that that's a promise, that if you train up a child in in godliness, that they're never going to stray from God. That is not what that verse means. It is a promise, but not the way we see it. Well, I believe that if a parent does what they ought to do, that kid will never stray. And if that kid strays, that parent blew it. Wrong. I'm thinking of a father that put his two kids in a perfect environment, and they still strayed. Adam and Eve. So that's not what it means. It literally means train is a gardening term. Anybody know what training is in gardening? What do you do? You're trying to get that plant to grow a certain direction, so what do you do? You, you tie it to something stable, don't you? My grandmother always had saplings all over her. Every week it was another sapling in her yard, and I cut her grass. And I finally told her, one more sapling and I'm done. There's more saplings than there is grass. 
She's in heaven now. She knows I was right. But what she did is she'd drive a stake down into that ground and then she'd tie that sapling to that stake so it would grow straight. What it literally means is to hitch that kid to the way they're bent. Tie them to the giftedness of their life. The way he should go is the way that God has gifted them. It literally means in the way he is bent. So if your child shows a proclivity for music, tie them to that. If your child shows a proclivity for sports, that's okay. Tie them to that. Don't let it get out of bounds, but tie them to that. That was kind of cool, out of bounds. Uh See what I did there? Hey, Kyle, that's your level right there, buddy. All right, But, but you know what I'm trying to say. You see some ability in them. Hitch them to it. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. They'll miss it. They'll come back to it. And sometimes that can be the greatest help for your child determining what God's will is for their life. Is seeing, by the way, parents, that means, that means we need to be paying attention. And you're not going to see that if their nose is against the screen all day. So Circumstances. All right, well, I've looked at the word of God, and it's not telling me anything. And I've asked godly counsel, and that's not helping me any. Circumstances doesn't really seem to be pushing me in a direction either. So in the absence of all that, all right, Isaac, what have we decided you're going to do? Let's make you a veterinarian. The Bible doesn't say I shouldn't. Godly counsel hasn't tried to talk me off of it. Circumstances have not conspired against it. I mean, the, the wherewithal is there. I got accepted. I'm in. I guess that's what I'm going to do. And that's when you get the fourth part. Peace. Now, here's where we mess up. We look for peace at the beginning of the equation. Can I tell you something? The devil can counterfeit peace. Peace doesn't come till the end. Go to Daniel. Daniel, uh, come on now. There it is. Daniel chapter 3. Go to Daniel chapter 3. While you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a young preacher looking for his next ministry. Beautiful wife. Little girl on the way. And he was gifted with unusual beauty. It's me, (laughs) y'all. And... uh, So he began the process of candidating churches. And he candidated three, four, five, somewhere in there. And he followed this formula. He began with the Word of God. And there were a couple churches that he just, based upon his understanding of the Word of God, would not have been a good fit because they applied the Word of God differently than he did, differently than I did. I guess I can stop that ruse now differently than I did, and so the Word of God gave me a clear answer. This isn't a fit for you. It's not my will. Okay. There's one church in particular. Doctrinally, it wasn't off, but uh, some godly people in in my life told me, "Uh, I know that church. I wouldn't go there. And that sent up a red flag. Now, I went anyway because, you know, they could have been wrong. But what we encountered in circumstances confirmed what we were told and God shut that door there was another one that we were doing good doctrinally they were where they were supposed to be and nobody knew the church so I didn't have any godly counsel to fall back on so we went and God used a circumstance the head deacon who was the head of the pulpit committee his last name was we'll say Smith it wasn't but we'll say Smith And he was just so kind and helpful. 
And he set us up to come, and I was going to preach a Sunday morning and a Sunday night. I was going to meet with some people the Saturday night before, and I was going to meet with some people Sunday night after the church service. And uh, we get there, and the church, the auditorium about the size of this one, and the property horseshoeing around the auditorium was a cemetery. Now, I just have a natural, when I see a church cemetery, because I've been told my whole life, dead outside, dead inside. But anyway. (laughs) So I'm like, huh. No room to grow. Nothing. But we got there early enough that I was kind of wandering around looking at the gravestones. Three quarters of them easy. Last name, Smith. Ooh, same name as the deacon. Okay, file that away. Come to find out, and I'm not trying to be unkind, it was pretty clear right from the onset who ran that church. They didn't want a pastor, they wanted a puppet. God used a circumstance to hit the brakes on that too. My pastor, and why he waited so long, I don't know, but my pastor calls me up and says, hey, you know, I used to, I used to pastor in rural retreat. Where? Rural retreat. Okay. Where's that near? Withful. Where? <laughs> you know, the place where you get cheap gas on your way to Tennessee. Oh, yeah, I know where that is. And uh, he said, they, they're, need, they're needing a pastor. Would you like me to get you the information together? Sure. So we started digging, and uh, doctrinally there was no issues. Um, I mean, I knew y'all were a little tighter than I was, but that was okay. Um, I could stand a little tightening up. And then godly counsel I mean, my pastor knew enough about the church to say they're good people. I mean, I think it's worth looking at. You know, that's about all the godly counsel I got out of it. So circumstances kicked in. And the head of the pulpit, I've told you this story before, but some of y'all may not have heard it. But anyway, I like telling it. Head of the pulpit committee used to pastor in Georgia, and he had a family in his church, the Whites, and their oldest daughter's name was Crystal. And I've been told that Brother Wright's words were if, Joel White would let his oldest daughter marry this fellow. Let's have a look at him. He can't be but so bad. That's a circumstance, right? So we come and we preach. I preach. Crystal didn't preach. I don't know why preachers do that. We speak in plural, we. We are not amused, you know, that kind of thing. So I preached, met, with the pulpit committee. In all candor, we didn't agree on everything. Me and Brother Wright went at it almost immediately. Over what? Faith promise versus, versus budgeted missions giving. That was our disagreement. Well, preacher, it's got to be faith promise. And I said, I think it can be both. But can we agree? We both believe in investing in missions. Yeah, we can agree on that. That was our disagreement. And I figured at that point, well, I'm done. Called me back to preach again. Now, Crystal and I had been praying, but did we have this overwhelming, oh, no. We're still in the circumstances phase. We didn't have any peace yet. I didn't know anything about this area. And the first time we came, it was snowing. Because we were at y'all's house eating, I remember. And we made our way through the snow to here. Came back and preached again. Had more meetings. Went back to the hotel. Crystal, what do you think? Sunday between services. What do you think? I don't want to be presumptuous, but if they want to go to the next step of this thing, what should I say? And I would love to tell you that my wife said, I've been praying about it and God has given me this amazing, uncanny peace that this is his perfect will for life. Her answer was, I don't see why not. 
Boy, that's a faith booster right there. (laughs) Well, see, why not? I don't either. Well, I'm mighty glad we had that conversation because I preached that night, and rather than stay, I don't think we stayed that night. I think we went home that night after the service. And uh, because Crystal was great with child, just wanted to go home. And you just do what pregnant women say. And I'm riding down the road, and my cell phone rings. Preacher, Brother Wright. Yes, sir. If we decide to offer you the pastor to this church, are you going to say yes? Because I. <laughs> Where were you back then? And this is what he said. He said, because I don't want to go through all this, and then you say no. And so I would love to tell you that at that moment in the car, the peace washed over me. I said, I think so. (laughs) Next thing I know, they hold a vote. (laughs) Brother Wright calls me and tells me that the vote was taken. Actually gives me the exact numbers. I could have done without the exact numbers. It wasn't 100%. I think it was like 93, something like that. And uh, you know what happened then? Peace. Because here's what we've been praying. Lord, we don't have anything in your word, godly counsel, or circumstances to tell us we shouldn't go through this door. If this is not your will, shut it, lock it, bar it over, whatever you got to do. Please don't let us go somewhere you don't want us. And he hadn't done any of those things. And when I told Brother Wright, I officially accept the pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church. That's when the peace came. Well, I'm not saying we weren't scared. Because I then turned my two-week notice in from a very secure job. She turned her notice in to the hospital. We didn't know what was coming next. We just knew this was God's will. If I'm out of God's will, I've been out of God's will for 11 years. Okay. All right, Andy, you got any Bible to back that up? Can I just give you the synopsis and you read Daniel three fourteen through 25 when you can? Nebuchadnezzar made the decree. When you hear the music, you kneel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't. Abednego didn't. He calls them in. He's hopping mad. Gives them a chance to get it straight. Maybe you didn't understand, fellas. <laughs> Either do it or you're going to get thrown in the fiery furnace. They said, our God is able to deliver us. But if not, they knew there was a possibility they'd get thrown in that furnace. They knew they might burn. And is it reasonable to conclude that three young men would be a little bit afraid of burning in the fire? Sure. I don't see any evidence of peace there. Stability and steadfastness and desire to do what's right? Absolutely, but I don't see peace. But who was waiting for them in the fire? How do I know he was already there? Because they threw them in bound. If you've been bound hand and foot, you can't catch yourself. You get thrown into something, you're going to get, at the very least, you're going to get some abrasions and maybe even some broken bones. But when they came out, when they came out of, that, of that furnace, the Bible says that no harm had come to them, none. So what does that mean? I take that to mean as they were thrown in, Jesus caught them. He was already there. When did their peace come? After they were in the fire. And sometimes we hesitate making decisions for Christ because we have this idea that we have to have some kind of perfect, unyielding peace before we'll do anything for God. And you're not going to get it until you make the decision to do something for God. Then you get the peace.
I bowed the knee before my wife and asked her to marry me in the parking lot of a hospital outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Really romantic. And we celebrated by going to Chick-fil-A. I was scared to death. There was that small part of me that thought she might say no. But can I tell you something? I've been in the fire since 2009, and I've had nothing but peace. I've been in this fire for 11 years, and I've questioned a lot of things. But one abiding peace that I've enjoyed is that I'm serving God where he wants me. I hope that continues. I hope it continues for you. I hope you continue to think that. Because if you don't think that, I'm in trouble. We all want the will of God. We want to know what God's will is for us. But the only way we're going to get it is, first of all, his word. That's got to be our first stop. And precept and principle, his word. Then if the word doesn't tell us or doesn't guide us, it may lead us to godly counsel. Maybe that's no help either. Then we look at circumstances. And then we, once we've done all that, okay, Lord, your word doesn't speak against this. Godly counsel has not warned me against it. There's no circumstances to prevent me from doing this. If it's your will, I'm going to walk through this door, but if it's not your will, I'm begging you to shut it. Never once have we asked that of God that he has not honored that request. Oh, shut doors sometimes hurt, but we've always needed it. And then once you step through, then you get that peace. And there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. So from my understanding of Scripture, that's how you know the will of God for your life.